Before we get to this episode, just to say thanks to everyone who's bought my new book, Champion Thinking, How to Find Success Without Losing Yourself. Published by Bloomsbury, the response has been terrific. It's an Amazon bestseller. It's been top 20 in the airport charts consistently, and the reviews have been terrific right across the board. And if you like this episode that you're about to hear on Flow, you'll be sure to enjoy Champion Thinking. Head to my website, simonmundy.com or Amazon, Waterstone, Smiths, places like that to get your copy. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi all, Simon here. Welcome to the podcast that uses sport to explore life's bigger questions. Now, many people took up new sporting challenges during lockdown, but few were quite as impressive as what this week's guest has achieved. Since winning her second rowing gold at Rio 2016, Helen Glover has given birth to three children. She had no plans to get back in the boat, but the Olympic itch gradually returned and she juggled training and qualifying for these Olympic Games with looking after her three-year-old son and one-year-old twins. Competition is now underway and Helen could win her third Olympic gold, but that's not necessarily what it's all about this time. The pressure is off. It's about enjoying the experience. Although, frankly, if she does pull it off, you can be sure TV presenter husband Steve Backshall will be getting misty-eyed once again, just as he did after her success at Rio 2016. Now, Helen is full of lessons and nuggets in this episode, including remembering the importance of play, realising that pressure is self-induced, choosing to let go of negative emotions, as well as the skill of being coachable. And just before we get to the episode, I should give you a little warning. I do make something of a memorable slip-up quite early on, confusing a well-known computer console from my youth with another well-known magazine. So apologies in advance. What is an innocent mistake? Anyway, enough of that. Here is the truly incredible Helen Glover, the first woman to make a British Olympic rowing team after having children. Helen Glover, how are you? Yeah, very good, thank you. Helen, it's such a pleasure to have you on Don't Tell Me The Score. As I said to you just a moment ago, there's something about rowers, and I've had a plethora of your kind, shall we say, on Don't Tell Me The Score, 
And that mixture of intelligence, inquisitiveness and masochism makes for a fascinating conversation without fail. But as far as you're concerned, we're sort of going on to a whole new level entirely because yours very much is a unique story, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, I feel like you're putting a lot of pressure on this conversation now. I've got to bring bring out the good stuff. (laughs) You absolutely will. I have no doubt about it. But listen, we'll get to what you're doing, the reasons you're doing it, the lessons from it. But I want to go back, actually if I may, just because I've been doing some research about you. And I, you know, I remember obviously your wins, you know, I covered London 2012 and everything else as well. But I actually want to go back into your sporting prowess because you really do come from good sporting stock, don't you? I didn't quite realise. Yeah, my my dad was a good sports person. And I grew up just kind of just be if you'd ask anyone about me, I was the sporty one, you know, and I think (laughs) And there's also an element I, I do feel of just I, I grew up in Cornwall and I was just I was just outside and I was swimming in the sea and I was running on the sand dunes and I it wasn't training it was playing and I think that yeah. that I feel like it set me up really well yeah. Okay, question for you then. You said playing. Without going too deep, do you feel now that the Olympic adventure that you're back on have you recaptured some of that playing side? I have. I feel like this is more fun in a way than I've had in my other two kind of Olympiads. I feel like it's so different and the pressures are so different. And almost when the pressure of a result is taken away from you, it frees things up. I'm sure. And I want to talk to you about pressure because I'm sure you've learned a lot about to what degree it's self-induced, for example. But let's go back as well. One of your generations back played at Junior Wimbledon, right? Yeah, my dad played Junior Wimbledon. He was he played against the Barbarians in rugby. He was a good I mean, footballer, yeah. good cricketer. You know, he really, he was, yeah, really kind of multi-sport and just kind of annoyingly. Now he's still, I, ha- I don't think I've ever won a game of tennis against him. <laughs> and he's really annoying at those kind of, he's just can kind of like do things that you kind of, how have I still not beaten you yet? You were a decent player back in the day as well. You played representative tennis as well, didn't you? Yeah, I grew up kind of being very much, if I, I loved sport. I went through school waiting for PE lessons. I waited to, I was desperate to finish school so I could go on to my sports clubs. And I just, if I could be on a team, I was on it. And and um, I was just there and I'd find a way to be there. And uh, my parents just used to just, just drive me all over the place because I was just I was just in love with sport and whatever team I could be on I would do it without being too all the good old days I feel very grateful that I grew up at a time similar to you where it was like get outside and play and if you like sport then even better you know we didn't have well I think I had a playboy you know one of those little consoles right I'll leave that in I'll leave that in. But yeah, I, I had a Game Boy, but that was the that was the extent. Blimey, what a slip up that was. Um, but uh, we, yeah, I, I had one then. But apart from that, there was very little to do apart from go out and play sport, like be outside. Whereas now it's it's a very different world. But like I said, we're not looking back, and certainly not after that faux pas. Anyway, um, now one thing that one of your PE teachers said, you were described as so coachable. So what does that mean to you? And as someone who is looking to inspire, what does to be coachable mean to you? And how could someone perhaps of a teenage age grow to become more coachable? Yes, I guess a running theme throughout my sporting career has been that coachability. So my first PE teacher said it and the guy, the coach who took me to the Olympics said it. And I think 
is actually probably an attribute which is like it's such an unsexy thing in terms of sport you want to have like a big vo2 max or you want to be like a physical freak or you want to be so powerful and everyone going have you seen what they lift in the gym but i'm like have you seen how coachable she is <laughs> you know it's actually it's not something that's kind of it doesn't seem exciting but i think it's really fundamental and if you mm. can I think your ability to take on board information, process it, but then most importantly, make that change is something that can make you into a champion. And I think that there's some level of um, innate ability with that. You know, when I was young and I was coachable, it was just because I was quite aware of what my body was doing. But I'm a big believer that you you get good at practicing new skills. As an adult, you very rarely learn new skills. You're in a routine. And if you think about what you've done over the last week, you probably haven't learned a new skill. And then when you're a child, you're doing that constantly. Mm. And I think for me in my in my rowing career, what I quite like to do is keep challenging myself with new skills, whether that's in rowing or outside of it. You get better at learning new skills the more you do. And so for me, I think the answer has always been having quite a relentless focus in every single rowing session and yeah. that means you're you're harnessing every single opportunity to, to learn something new and then your body just absorbs information quite easily i remember speaking to alex danson gold medal winner olympics in 2016 in hockey and she said she would always pick on character rather than talent another theme that comes up a lot is growth mindset around believing you can get better and therefore being open to feedback and not necessarily seeing it as a threat, but actually you seek that out. I guess that's a, a key component of being coachable too. Yeah, definitely. And I remember conversations, I, I, I get really frustrated if I haven't had enough feedback and I'll kind of mm. be at the coach's door when everyone else has gone home, banging on the door saying, you haven't told me what to improve. And and I do I do. I do like that kind of feedback and almost when things have been going too well and the coach is happy with how it is, I find that quite hard because I quite like to have something to work on. Yeah, I had an interesting chat with uh, Lewis Moody recently and he said exactly that. And, and in fact, a number of top sports people have said that, you know, during sport, it's always like, right, this was good, but you can improve here, you can't. You can yeah. improve here, work on this. Then you leave sport and let's say you go into the world of broadcasting. What can I improve? And they're like, you're doing great. Just keep on doing what you're doing. It's like, that's no use. So now I've tried, I'm personally trying to be honest with my feedback and, and it, it can be uncomfortable at times outside of the world at sport, but in sport, you're used to it. Yeah, it can. And sometimes I get some feedback and my instinct is to kind of do what I think a lot of people do. My instinct is to kind of provide an excuse. So if, if, um, if the coach says, oh, you know, you're, you're pulling your arms in early. I was like, yeah, but I had a big weight session and my arm, my, my shoulder's a bit sore. And, and then I stop myself and go, it's just feedback and he wants he wants you to yeah, go yeah, faster yeah. and so yeah. Yeah, yeah it's not it's not personal right yeah exactly you know that's sort of our egos isn't it if you're not careful it just leaps to defense that's just yeah, happens in, it, in, yeah, yeah. In, in any scenario doesn't it i want to just ask you you've obviously achieved a hell of a lot but what as well i admire about you is that you're not averse to bending the rules when necessary so for example the sporting giant scheme you were half an inch too short and got up on your tippy toes or is this an urban myth I was more than half an inch too short. Yeah, I, um, when I, yeah, so I was 21 when I started rowing and it was through this talent ID scheme in 2008. Um, London had just been told it had got the Olympic Games and they were running this big talent ID scheme for people, for women over five foot 11. Um, I'd just finished university and doing sports science degree and I went along and I applied online 
firmly believing I was five foot eleven, and I walked into the room, and I was, I was the shortest by a good two inches. I was five foot nine, and um, kind of quickly looked around, and I realised that I got this wrong. And then when they came to measure us, I just like stretched up on my tiptoes a little bit, um, and I thought, right, I'm going to have to nail these fitness tests. And so in all the fitness tests, I just went as hard as I could. Um, and I only admitted to this um, in the press conference after our final in London. <laughs> <laughs> By that point, you were safe. Yeah. <laughs> I, I take my hat off to you. Sometimes one has to uh, exert yourself in creative <laughs> ways. And that was certainly one. Let's talk then about 2012 quickly. So what I quite enjoy about well, many things I enjoy about doing interviews like this is always I'll always go back and watch the races. So I watched your final in 2012. And obviously no British women had won a rowing gold before that. And there was a marked contrast, I thought, between your demeanour in the boat and then your demeanour when you clocked what a big deal it was when you were on the podium. What really struck me was how calm and composed you seemed on the boat. And this leads into something else. So Robin Williams, your coach, Mm -hmm. is it true that you played Boggle for 45 minutes before that final? It was actually Bananagrams. And the last conversation we had before going out, putting our boat on the water to win an Olympic final was this argument with Robin whether trumpety was a word that was going to win him win him the game. Um, yeah, well, I think a, a, a huge part of that that London period was knowing that we're favourites to win and mm. kind of damage limitation in that week and so being really proactive about what we brought with us to distract ourselves so we didn't get in any sort of spiral of negativity or worry or anxiety and and one of those things was um yeah like if we have to play a game to keep our mind off things you know we sat where we played this game um an hour before our race was sat underneath the stand with forty thousand people in so not only can you hear them cheering you can hear their footsteps you can hear everything and you're aware that these are the people who are about to go and watch your Olympic final and it can be it can be too much and if you just sat there waiting in silence to go and race I think that that's when the demons start creeping into your thinking yeah 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 I think this is genius because it comes back to getting out of your own way because like you say once those demons go in it can be hard to manage them so to to get engrossed in a board game and the way our minds work is that they do take them seriously if I play boggle with my family I want to win that game you know so that's a masterstroke I've read some quotes of Robbins where he he says racing it still needs to be fun which kind of comes back to what you said and that to me seemed to be really trying to channel that keep the play aspect of it as well yeah Robin is the most incredible coach and I think that's largely because yes he's a great technical coach on the water and he understands the physiology but then he really understands what it is to be an athlete he was a lightweight rower himself and he can remember those moments of stepping out to race he can remember the feeling of um, is does the world feel like it's closing in on me with the pressure of the situation or does it feel like I don't want to be anywhere else but here and this is this is why we do it and this is racing and um, I think it's the closer we got to racing the more it was part of his job was just get, get us in the right frame he'd done all the hard work on the rowing side and it was just getting us in the right frame of mind. Did he always manage to maintain then that sense of fun even in the the build-up home games no one's done it before you've won everything under the sun then did he manage to keep the fun and the pressure away I mean I'm probably looking at it with rose tinted glasses because I feel like I feel like the the London games was was fun um 
yes, it was pressurised and... But it was my first game. I never thought I was going yeah. to be an Olympian. I started this sport four yeah. years before. I was I was just coming to terms with the fact that I was an Olympian at all, let alone the fact that we could win. Um, yeah. It got to day five and Britain had won no Olympic gold. Yeah, you, yeah, you were first, and, weren't you? And we, yeah, and that's, that's probably when a bit of pressure hit that we couldn't have... Mm. Everything else we thought we kind of saw coming and we didn't see that coming. And we woke up in the morning of our final with kind of the headlines talking about us and the press talking about us and like far more interest than we had wanted or expected. And we made a, we made a really um, like set in stone decision that we weren't going to, we're going to do only the interviews we had to do. We weren't going to, we weren't going to do press. We weren't, we didn't wanted to stay underdogs. And for me, being an underdog meant staying under the radar. And I just didn't want to be spoken. I thought, speak about me when I cross the finish line. Don't talk about me now. I just wanted to stay out of all of it. And then I think when people knew that we were looking like we could win the first gold, um, that was probably the first sense of this is all this is all way more than I than I anticipated. Just to turn it to everyday life, let's say you don't get much bigger in terms of an occasion than the pressure to open the uh, the medals, as it were, at a home Olympics. But everyone has a high pressure situation, a job interview, whatever it may be. Would you advise then a distraction method like you had with that banana, whatever it was, would you advise something along those lines? If you know you've got some big deal coming, do something that's going to keep your mind occupied. I do think it is. I think that, you know, if, especially if you know you've put in, you put in the work and you're ready and all you have to do is wait. I think that why not fill that time with something that's just going to kind of normalize things for you. Um, Yeah, I think, I think it's a good technique. Okay, I love that little takeaway there. Then let's talk about on the podium because, like I said, it, it clearly you saw the um, Union Jack go up. You realised what a big deal it was. So, just to, what was it like when that dawned on you? Honestly, I felt like a rabbit in headlights. I felt like I hadn't thought past the finish line. Um, I just hadn't. I hadn't. I hadn't thought about the mo. I thought about the race. I thought about that time and time again. And I never, ever, ever imagined what would happen next. And wow. and so I felt, I feel like I, I honestly have never had an out-of-body experience in my life. But I felt like I was just looking down at this happening to somebody else, not the same me. I I was still the same person who grew up in Cornwall, never thinking, never having met an Olympian, never having thought they'd go to an Olympics. Four years ago, that was still never even in my in my future. And so... I was watching this happen to someone and it can't, it can't be me. I can't have just won the Olympics. And I honestly just thought that I can't. And it took six months. I remember the exact moment that the reality hit. Six months in, I was on question of sport and I was introduced as the Olympic champion. It's the first time that I went, that's me. And I'd been, int- I'd been inter- introduced into rooms as the Olympic champion. I had been, you know, I'd gone and done talks and been introduced like that. And, and it had always felt like they were talking about someone else. And and so on that podium, even in that moment, no, no matter how much I enjoyed that moment, I I almost didn't, I didn't own it. It didn't feel like it was mine. A couple of things that you said there. So you said you never thought past the finishing line. So people often talk about process over outcome and the power of that. So is that what you're talking about? You are very focused on what needs to be done rather than thinking, if I do this, then this is what will happen. And blimey, the implications of winning gold, et cetera, et cetera. 
I think I'm actually quite outcome orientated, but for me, the outcome was always just winning the race. Like it didn't, like it wasn't for the accolade or the kind of, or what what was going to happen. You know, next day we were at Buckingham Palace. By by 10pm that night, I was sat on a sofa by Gary Lineker being handed this huge stamp with our faces on. And like, that was never the reason that I had, I wanted to win that race. I wanted to win that race to become an Olympic champion, to be the best in the world, to to kind of do it with my friend Heather and for Robin and yeah, and yeah. all those other things and and so I just yeah all those things I just never never really yeah, picked yeah. I, I just I honestly we had arranged that evening to meet our um, families for a carvery um, at the pub <laughs> and, like, meet carvery. Oh, and, then, and I think it was four in the morning we actually got back to our hotel yeah, after in, after back to back interviews, realizing how totally naive we were, just because like I think our families met at the pub and were like, "Yeah, they're not coming, are they?" <laughs> that's funny. That's funny. Another nice quote of yours that I've heard you say is talking about how we can put, for example, Olympians on a pedestal, and you did that. I know, thought that they're a, a special breed, and then you become one. And you see they're normal people who happen to be doing extraordinary things. Everyone's normal, right, is the thrust of what I'm saying. And, and you realise Yeah, that. totally. And I think that um, as athletes, a lot of your identity often pins on your most recent performance. And and sometimes that can mean a lot of your self-worth actually um, mm. is attributed to your last performance. And I think it's really important to remember that actually, you know, you're still full, well-rounded people and people who have great assets to them and people who have flaws and pe- who people who have mm. passions outside of sport and and I think that um I've definitely changed in my opinion with that I think um between London and Rio sport really was all all that defined me in my own you know for myself yeah. and for my own self-worth and for my own passion and I truly believe that I had to do every single thing right in order to kind of get the result and maybe I did maybe that's why I got the result because I dedicated every part of my life to it but mm. it's pretty exhausting um yeah. and yeah. I think yeah one thing that I, I I always want to make sure I say to people especially young people especially children when I talk to them in schools is is there's no reason and I'm not just talking about Olympics it could be anything there's no reason it can't be you whatever it is you want to do um you believe it's a kind of a special a special thing that happens to somebody it's like no it's there's a bit of luck there's a bit of good fortune yeah. a lot of hard work and then there's some yeah. talent and it's just this mix and, and it can be a different if it, it can be a different mix for everyone it's interesting what you said there because I wanted to ask you obviously your dominance as well through 2016 and one again and so you said your identity was really bound up in that was it less playful than that time yeah so when I finished London, I was thinking about what to do next. It was re- just straight away. I pretty much started training for Rio the next day. I was just like, I've been in this, just, it felt like a flash in the pan. I just, I just started the sport and won this gold. And it was really important to me to back it up with another four years. I didn't predict it being four years unbeaten. And I think that I was just, I was just relentless in the pursuit of, of kind of, once you're at the top, all eyes are on you. And, and you, you know, you know that, you don't want to get that silver it has to be gold and so for for me for the next four years um there was definitely more pressure every time I sat on the start line because it was just knowing that I wanted to kind of keep this unbeaten run but most importantly knowing that the end result had to be gold in Rio um 
so definitely the Rio Olympic, there felt like a lot more kind of darkness to the process in terms of like the weight on your shoulders. Um, you know, whereas before we could avoid the interviews and not have to speak to people this time around, we were in front of the press and um, people were expecting this gold and expecting us to defend our title. And um, I think expectation is something that I find I find hard to deal with because, you know, we all know in sport things happen and that's why we love sports so much is that it's not predictable and so yeah. the more kind of odds were thrown around about our win the more kind of uneasy I got because I just thought no this is this is why we do it it's all about right we have to race to find out what happens stop stop talking about me as if I've already won this race hi I'm Daniel founder of pretty litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter that's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. But then you did win the race. Obviously, there were the tears from Steve, famously. Um, and, then, and then, sorry to bring them up, you can't not. Uh, and then, and then <laughs> thereafter... Then your life took a complete detour, didn't it? And and you didn't anticipate coming back to rowing. And so you've you basically four years away being a mum. And what I love about the fact that it wasn't like one morning you woke up and thought, actually, I'm going to do the hat trick. It was just this subtle, small, gradual process of just baby steps, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. I think after Rio, I I felt I I, I felt and I still do feel just really complete with my with my time in rowing I had no unlike London where I felt a very obvious desire to carry on um I felt really satisfied in Rio and I wanted to I wanted to walk away from the sport and um and start a family and it was amazing and I you know Steve and I had Logan and he he was amazing and then um in January of 2020 we had the twins and I you know I was four years out of rowing and I was prepared to sit with the West rest of the nation and watch my old teammates racing in Tokyo that summer. Um, and then when lockdown happened, it was about the same time as I was looking at sort of just trying to get a bit of fitness back from having the twins. They were about eight weeks old. And 
we've got a rowing machine at home. So I started whenever they napped, I would just nip onto the rowing machine and thinking this will last three weeks. And then, you know, months go by, we're still in this lockdown. I'm managing to actually get quite decent sessions in the, on the rowing machine. And just gradually, gradually, day by day, I started thinking, my schools are really similar to what they used to be. <laughs> and, and I was going, I wonder, like, no woman has, has gone back onto the British Olympic team after having babies. And and I just thought, I wonder if, is it ridiculous? Like, I think having four years out of sport is really hard to then come back. Having four years and three babies is, is that too? And I, I genuinely was like, I was really intrigued just by that question, just... Is it is it possible? What's the reason nobody's done it before? Um, and then, as soon as I started to kind of get excited about it, I would I would get off the road machine and not think about it again. The next time I get on the road machine, I get a little bit more excited. And so it came to the day, sort of um, around summertime of twenty twenty, where I said to Steve, Steve. I'm thinking um, maybe maybe I might try to get back onto the Olympic rowing team, and. Um, I I do. Th- he was quite surprised because I, the babies were still tiny. Logan's a little toddler. I've had four yeah. years out of the sport. It just we we're in the middle of a pandemic. It was just kind of a ridiculous thing to even think. But actually, we we agreed that um, it's working right now. And you know, as long as the as long as the babies and the family always comes first. Even I I genuinely thought at the time it would just get help me give get a little bit of motivation to train to keep my fitness up and then and then by Christmas time I'll have forgotten all about it. I didn't think I was gonna carry on. That's what I love, I think, about when you start something, you never know actually where it's gonna end up. You were just starting out to be fit and here you are going for a hat trick of Olympic golds while raising three children. I mean, I'm a great believer in what so many people have come on and said is like like what's the worst that can happen and take risks, follow your intuition, do these things. Because you never know where it'll end up. And for me, this time round, it was it was exactly that that I wanted to kind of show my children. And I and I had a really kind of good conversation with Robin when I first started thinking about it. And I said, "Look, Robin, I'm thinking, should I do this?" And he just said, "Be really clear about your reasons. Because if your reason is to come back and win, like this, that that's really that's asking a lot." Yeah. And he said, "What's your reason? Like what?" And I said, "Honestly." when I look at my kids I want to show them what it is to actually take a chance and it might not pay off and I want to show them physically every day what it takes to be committed and to show that there's an end goal which is important but actually your application is is more important and and I just thought imagine taking them on this journey and it's only a year it's only a year and they get to know for the rest of their lives that they've they've had that little bit of early early input in their early years where they've seen their mum do it and I was really excited by the fact that I could I could teach them something really important and then it became much bigger I think around around the Christmas time I made the announcement that I was going to attempt to come back and then after the announcement um just so many people especially mums especially parents got in touch saying that they found it inspiring and that it made them um try new things or or go to that thing that they back into that thing they really wanted or the thing they used to love or the thing they didn't think they could do and it became so much more and so much more than just my three children thinking it was affecting them but actually seeing other people it was affecting and I find mm. that so so motivating so my motivation this time around is entirely different. So a quote of yours I read is I'm finding the journey exciting and challenging and it's clearly this 
exploration. There isn't this, okay, I expect to reach this level, although I know that yeah. you're, what you're hoping for is continually improving, but it's more of an exploration and getting out there and giving it a go, seeing what's possible. So therefore, are you finding it more enjoyable then than, for example, the build up to Rio 2016? Um, I would say it's just really different. Um, largely, I mean, the, the most different thing is that I've got an entirely different team around me. Robin's not coaching me anymore. I'm not in the boat with Heather. I'm in with Polly. Um, you know, look, it looks totally different. Um, but also I think that, because, like you say, there's no formula for how it's going to work. Whereas before there was, and I could talk to my team and know what the best the best way to, to, to run my day would be, they would say, do this on the row machine at this speed, lift these weights that are this heavy, sleep for this long, you know, and, and I could do everything they asked me to do. Now I don't know if the babies are going to wake in the night. I don't know what time they're going to nap. I, you know, don't know if they're going to come and interrupt me during a row machine session, in which case I get off and I go and play with them. You know, you don't, there's so many unknowns and so I think that actually rather than I think it could stress me out and maybe the me of 10 years ago I'd have been really stressed by it but it just totally relaxes me and, and it makes me think this is just this is just such a different journey and that's exciting the purpose you have in terms of being that model to your children but also then like you said all the people and in particular mothers who've come out and said just wow you know you really have inspired me in terms of thinking what what could I do that sense of purpose have you found that energizing hugely yeah massively I think every time I sort of do anything um that I kind of either put on social media or something like that I get this kind of flood of people who are really on my side and really supporting me and you know the days are tiring and that honestly it makes it does make a difference that that people can feel like they're part of your team and especially when we've had a year where we haven't we haven't seen people we haven't seen family and friends and and to feel like your team is bigger than you than you believed it's really cool and I think especially to be the start line can be a lonely place and when you know that there's a there's a wider community there really on your side and I'm a big believer that women in particular should lift will lift other women up and I feel like that's done to me and I feel like I have a responsibility to do that to others and a part of that lifting women up is is by being really honest by like this is really hard it's not easy like like a bit like the Olympians things not being perfect I'm I'm not doing a perfect job a lot of the time and so don't I th- I think there's this kind of fascination with um with making things seem or look easier than they are. It's like, no, this is, I'm really learning and I'm making mistakes yeah. and that's, that's totally human. Well, yeah, I mean, that's another quote of yours that I've read that I really liked or heard you say in terms of, I know it's a juggling act for you now, but you know, some days are good days and some days are bad days. And that's yeah. true of all of us, right? And I mean, ultimately a good barometer is just trying to have more good days than bad days. And if And if you're doing that, then then that's a success. Now, I've heard you describe yourself, which tickled me, as disorganised by nature. Is that true? <laughs> I'm literally the least organised organized person you'll ever meet in your life. So this is really funny because then, I mean, it almost comes back to what we're talking about, about being coachable or growth mindset, all those kind of stuff. Because, I mean, right now you need to be 
as organized and how you've managed to do that, I find brilliant. For example, you get up and you have your couple of hours with the children and the family and then you do your sessions, but you'll even factor in weights, for example, into whilst cooking dinner. And so the, the way you're managing to mold being a wife, a mother to three young children and an aspiring Olympic medalist, let's be honest, it's a hell of a juggling act. So can you just give us what, you know, what have you learned about being more organized, about compartmentalizing and about all that kind of stuff that anyone else could learn from? I think when you say it like that, I probably am more organized than I realize. Because yeah, I do have a plan of a day roughly. But I think that... Um, I let a lot of things slide. I don't I don't mind if, you know, things aren't perfect. Um, but I think the biggest thing in compartmentalizing is that I I always said, um, when I walk through the door, I'm mum and I don't want the babies to know whether I've had a good or a bad rowing session. It used to pre-Rio, everyone around me would know if I'd had a bad session. <laughs> like you don't want to be near me when I've when I've had a bad day on the rowing lake. And um I'm really quite proud of the fact that I I really do feel like when I'm when I'm home I'm present and I'm, my mind isn't on on what's happening in rowing um and I think that that compartmentalization means I'm the best mum I can be and that is the most important thing if I can also be the best rower I can be that would be great that would be the dream being the best at both but as long as that being the best mum stays constant I can deal with trying to you know drag up that being the best rower I can be but usually the two come hand in hand when I feel like I'm doing a good job at home I'm happy and I'm and I'm rowing happy and then the good results follow yeah I was gonna say having best mum as your top priority does that tend to feed into actually making you a better rower yeah, if I if I ever felt like the the little ones were kind of losing out from from me not being there, or I wasn't spending enough time with them, or if even if you know if one of them was teething and I wasn't there or something like that, and if I, and if I hadn't prioritised that, um, I just wouldn't be present when I was rowing, and I think um, then you're kind of doing neither job properly. No, and you spoke as well um, about about back in the day if you'd had a bad session or rowing, everyone would know about it. And now you come back and you walk in and you don't want your kids to know about that. So you've almost learned the art of letting go of a, a frustrating emotional state. Has that given you a snapshot into the fact that actually we have more choice about letting go of bad emotional states than perhaps we realize? Yeah. And I I wouldn't have been able to do that um, pre-Rio. I wouldn't. And I, I would have thought, I think a part of me thought it was important to hold on to it because I thought, you know, I'm so passionate that I'm just thinking about it all the time and I'm always looking for ways to be better and I'm researching and I'm watching video and I thought that was, you know, it was actually quite an expensive use, waste, use of my energy. And now I think I've realised I probably, I probably, if I'd been kinder to myself, could have switched off and not had to have gone through that kind of roller coaster and then most of the time you go in the next day and have a good session and you think oh why was I why was I stressed yeah, yeah. that's so typical isn't it is that I know that you know I've been in the showers and had arguments with people who are not there with me you know and we fuel that <laughs> perhaps a negative emotion and then someone gave me a really good example about letting it go let's say we're in the middle of an argument and then someone from work calls up and you've got to put your best face on Right. Mm. You do do that and you immediately can let go of the bad moment. But yet, like you say, 
for whatever reason, a lot of us, most of us, the vast majority of us are rubbish at doing that until we have to. And and you're proof that actually, you know, it is a choice. You could just let it, you can let it go. I'm not saying it's easy, but you can just let it go. Yeah, exactly. And I think you don't really have a choice around children, especially young children. Um, yeah, you have so. to, I mean, part of the time I'm pretending to be, I mean, this morning before 5am, I was pretending to be a crocodile in a swamp with Logan jumping over the cushions to try and get me. Like, you know, these things, you, when you're in that situation, you've got to commit to commit to being that crocodile. And if you're, if you're thinking yeah, yeah. about training that day, your kid's going to pick up on it. And, um, and I think that, yeah, I want to leave the house knowing that I've, I've been present, I've been there. And then it allows me to switch into kind of work mode. And then in terms of pressure, so what have you learned about where pressure comes from? To what degree can you see that it is self-induced? Yeah, I, I think that so much of it is self-induced. And I actually almost, I feel like I care less about the pressure that comes externally. I think before I really cared about the fact that people expected me to win. And I, and it, it almost, to the point of frustration, I didn't, I didn't want people to expect me to win because I, I felt like that was pressure and I felt like, um, I felt like I just wanted to kind of shut off all of that information and, um, but now I feel like if somebody expects me to win, that's that's great and that's fine. Um, or if someone expects whatever result it is of me. Um, but I think that I think that time and experience teaches you that actually the sun will come up tomorrow and that person yeah. will will be watching a, new, a different event and be talking about a different person, no matter what yeah. you've done. And, but yeah. you're the one that lives with the result. And so... I think that worrying too much about other people's opinions and other people's kind of expectations, even if they're really positive, um, yeah. Yeah. It, it doesn't add anything. I think it's, it's all about the fact that you you were going to live with that result for the rest of your life. And I think that for that reason, it's not about the outcome. It's about knowing that you've given a good yeah. account of yourself on the day. And doesn't even, and I mean a good account. It doesn't have to be an exceptional account. I think if you go into yeah. a day, whether it's an Olympic final or an interview or an important meeting, it, one, thinking you need to be exceptional that's putting yourself under a lot of pressure give your, yeah, give yeah. a good account of yourself and then you can be really proud the next day absolutely I think the use of the word need there is I've done a whole episode on this and the difference between like I need this as opposed to I want this there's a huge difference and then what you were saying there about pressure it's it's other people's business what they think isn't it and like you say you learn the sun will come up and you can let go of that and be one's own judge we've touched on the inspiration that you're getting from others and other groups and this is something I really like because obviously social media gets a bad rap actually you've been getting this fantastically positive cheerleading on social and I think sometimes that's overlooked but you're in this role aren't you of a bit of a standard bearer for what's possible and one of those things is about getting families young people back active isn't it so I know you're doing some stuff with Putty Filu right I'm a Putty Filu devotee have been since <laughs> I was yay big Delilah who's six absolutely loves the stuff you know just just the right size and stuff like that so just tell me a little bit though about what this program is because like you say getting people back active after the year we've been through there are a few more important things really yeah definitely I think that teaming up with Petit Flu combined two things one was the importance of sport and, and active lifestyles definitely the ethos is get outdoors enjoy yourself in sport and I think that um 
it's really important to talk about enjoying yourself in sport and oh. and yes mm. using olympians as kind of those flag bearers for the for for the sports but it's not all about being the best it really isn't and i think that that's something i want to make sure my children learn from from watching me is kind of like the process is great the friendships are important you know the the relationship i have i have with polly um the you know they're the people that are going to be in your life for years not not the one mm. or two races you have together so um all those life lessons you can get from sport and from being outdoors i think that the ethos is is really is really in line with couldn't agree more you know life lessons the amount of people who come on here and talk about like you say the relationships the journey because there's that cliche isn't there it's about winning trophies I always imagine it on the match of the day so far it's about the trophies you've won it's not really that's nice don't get me wrong and it's easy from from your position having already won two and who's to say you're not going to win another one but that's not why we play sport you said yourself at the start the reason you played is you loved being out there playing that is the essence of sport yeah, and I think that you you learn so much through sport. You learn this communication. You learn you learn leadership, but you have friend you you create friendships that are so strong through through sport. And I think that um, getting an early passion is really important. And if sport is if sport can be that passion, amazing. You know, maybe it's art, maybe it's acting, yeah. maybe it's reading, yeah. uh, maybe it's sport. But I think having a passion, having an interest, if you choose to try to be the best, and that's really exciting. And if that's not for you it's still no less of a passion absolutely and and like you've done you know all you've got to do is start looking or start something as you did when you hop back on the rowing machine and who knows who knows where it will uh, take you one thing i read that i was really impressed with right so obviously giving birth particularly as well to twins as well is is no mean feat and i know that you uh, you spoke about that there wasn't much online about getting your out not your abs your, your core back strong yeah so you you just went big on side planks so can you just extol the benefit of side planks well to be honest I I was trying to do some research online just to see what I could do to get most core strong again um and there was just a massive list of things you shouldn't do and I kind of by process of elimination realized pretty much the only thing that wasn't on the list of things you can't do was side planks <laughs> so I was like there you have it I'm side planking and I just went from like doing 15 seconds of side planking each side doing that a few times then making it 30 seconds and just slowly but surely adding that up and just keeping going with the side planks I think I did that like until I actually made it back onto the team and they kind of said, okay, what's your, um, what's your core routine now? And I, I was too scared to <laughs> divert away from these side planks. So I could kind of side plank all day long, but they, they sort of said, okay, I think we should maybe start branching out now. But you're saying we can get a long way just with side planks. Yeah, totally. And I think especially for if you've just um, given birth and you're kind of worried about, they call it coning, where your your abs are, are sort of slightly separated and, and um, you don't, you don't, I think that it's, it's damage limitation as well. It's really important to, because um, I, I wasn't expecting to be back as a full-time athlete. So I didn't really look after my body during pregnancy in a way that you would if you were expecting to go back to training. Sure. And even post-birth, I wasn't really thinking about ever being a full-time athlete again. And I may I may have done a few things differently if if I had been thinking that, but um, but yeah, generally I think that um, yeah, thinking about slowly and being really careful whenever you've had children, yeah. 
I'm never going to have children. But as soon as I read that about the side planks, I thought, yeah, I'm going to up them. But your body is being used as a bit of science, really, isn't it? Because no one's really done what you've done before. So is everyone sort of really keeping close tabs on seeing how it's reacting, all that kind of stuff with what you're trying to achieve? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things is that I would love, I'd love to be the first of many that do this. And I think that when, so, you know, the first person I called when I came back to do this was Anna Watkins, but she, yeah. she tried to make a comeback. She had two young boys and she, she didn't make it onto the Olympic team, but it was amazing having her to, to call and say, you know, where do I start? What do you think? Have you got any advice? And so if I can be the next person that somebody else calls, and I've kind of shortened that timeline for them a little bit like Anna did for me, then that's amazing. And that's kind of a huge goal for me. But yeah, I, I think it is quite fascinating. And I and the kind of the physios, physiologists, everyone are kind of really interested. I mean, I breastfed the twins until they were 14 months old while I was still while I was full time training. And um, even the logistics of that, like I had to leave training to get back in time for the next, you know, you had this short window of time between feeds. So your training had to be really efficient and you had to be hydrated and calories because you're training and you're feeding two babies. There's just so much to think about. And a lot of it we, we learned along the way. Very last thing, Helen, is the thing that leaps out for me is just your attitude of exploration and seeing what's possible, being led by your intuition and all this kind of stuff. But clearly, the inspiration that you are giving other people and wanting to be a bit of a flag bearer, for example, for other mothers and that kind of thing is so important to you. So if you did have a, you know, a message that you'd like to get across for mothers, for women, for anyone, what do you hope to really get across? If you could crystallize it down, what message would you have as a final thought? I would say take a chance and don't expect it to be perfect. I think being, being bold and, and following what you want to do is really, really crucial because if you're happy and if you're fulfilled, you're you're really, really likely to be the best mum that you can be. And um, yeah, there's no there's no pressure to be perfect in this pursuit of, of whatever it is you want. Um, and it's not about what you. It's not about want. It's about just kind of what motivates you, what makes you tick, what what kind of drives you. And I do think that that's the best way to kind of being the best parent at the same time. Helen, it's been an absolute joy talking to you. Who would bet against you for a third time? Best of luck and just thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this week's episode with the amazing Helen Glover. Do get in touch via social media on Instagram, Twitter or LinkedIn and let me know what you made of our conversation. And just a heads up, in this week's newsletter, Monday on a Monday, I'm talking about the downside of goals, as well as sharing an amazing time management technique that can help you get more done quicker. Just head to simonmundy.com and sign up there. And if you could share this episode with anyone who might enjoy it or get some benefit from it, I'd be very grateful. And until next time, thank you and goodbye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 